yeah, dig it. Hello, hi, and welcome to episode 22 of the Macho Movie Man podcast. I'm pretty sure it's 22. Probably. Yes, it's either 22 or 23. I'll find out whenever we do... It's 22. 22, yes. Yes. I knew it was, I knew it was American legal. Also, I was, um, when when you said the intro, I realized it was, um, oh yeah, dig it. In my head, it was, oh yeah, giggity. And I was like, nope, that's wrong. (laughs) Nope, nope. That's a different podcast. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, hello, uh, welcome back to the show, our resident horror aficionado, our horror respondent. Oh, Owen I Hilson. love that. I want to put that on my CV. Yes. <laughs> Correspondent for a small podcast. I'm writing that down. <laughs> that just kept, popped off the top of my head. It was like, what's like something cool to call this role? You know? Yeah. Yes. No, I'm good. Uh, alrighty. So welcome to episode 22. Welcome back to the show, Owen. So when you know he's on the show, things get spooky. Mighty spooky. Mighty, mighty spooky. And today we are talking about what is one of my favourite horror movies. I don't know if it's one of my favourite horror films, but it's definitely my favourite werewolf film ever. Yes. By far. Favourite, I, like I was saying when I asked you to be on this show, do you want to talk about my favourite horror, horror werewolf movie that is not animated or features a lot of cheese? Yeah, I, I wasn't on board with you saying Chris the Were-Rabbit. But, was, but no, I'm, it, I am now. You're yeah, right. It's nothing else. It is, nothing it's, else it can it's, be. A, it's a werewolf movie, but with, you know, a, it's a charming edge to it. it it's, we, it's not a wolf. It's a rabbit. Have we said what the name of this film is, or did we just... Uh, we are talking about an American werewolf in London. Yeah. I feel like if people who know movies who are, are, who are in the know will uh, know that we're talking about an American werewolf in London. Oh, also, yeah, but I feel bad for those few people who are listening who are like, I don't know any werewolf films, man. But also, like, it's also going to say a, an American werewolf in London review. That's fair. That's yes, fair. Yes, yes. Uh, and yeah, like, there hasn't been, like... Is it weird that, like, the, like there's not, like, that many super-duper famous werewolf movies? Like, I think this is... I think Probably. this is the main one that's there like remotely this... famous. I mean, obviously, Curse of the Were Rabbit and stuff. I was wondering if you want to sit back. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like there's um there's the Wolfman from like the old Universal stuff. Yeah, I feel like that's a classic because it's, it was just the first one. But I feel like since then there hasn't been a lot of yeah. interesting things done with the genre. Was that Guillermo del Toro one from like two thousand ten, the Wolfman? Which had the is same... that Del Toro? I think yeah, that I think looks it is like Del Toro. Garbage. It has Rick Baker <laughs> doing the CG for the effects for it though. Oh shit! Really? They, I think that this was that was his second Oscar win Damn. for that one. Uh, Rick Baker is the special effects artist on the film we're talking about yes. today. He and... is probably he is the star of the film pretty much. Yeah, he was the first visual effects artist to win an Oscar for yeah. that. They made the category the same Absolutely. year it came out. Yeah, we're gonna I'm gonna touch on that uh at the end. But um so, sorry. Yeah, no we'll we'll get into that. That's that's um Oh no we can you can mention it but that's all that's just like that's the post production yeah. area. But um yeah it was directed by John Landis. Uh famous for directing be- previously before this um, 
he had directed he was on a th- he had directed Blues Brothers and Animal House and would go on to direct the tw- he would be the one of Twilight the directors Zone. I don't know what do you know which segment he did or which part um if not it's fine I'm I I don't know the segment but I know I know there was controversy about that which we won't go into here but it did kind of mark his career and his legacy a little bit. He would go on to direct sort of a lot of... He directed Coming to America in, like, the late 80s. Um, I think he directed Trading Places as well in, like, 83 I'm just scrolling right now and he's credited to Spider-Man 2, but I can't find out for what. <laughs> oh, I don't know. But, yeah, so... And the cast includes... um. David David Nocton as uh, the main character David, he was a young actor at the po- at the time who John Landis discovered because he was on the Pepsi commercials. So he was doing the uh, the he was the Pepsi guy who was like dancing around in the street. I read about that. Yeah, yeah. the original Kylie Jenner. Oh, don't <laughs> come on! He, he's so cool. Don't. Uh, Jenny Agatha <laughs> as a uh, nurse Alex. She had been in Logan's Run beforehand, so, like, she was probably one of the more famous people in terms of the cast. Griffin Dunn, this was his first film, but he would later go on to be in the movie After Hours, which was... uh, He played Jack. Yeah, he went on to be... He's had some ups and downs in his career. I'm excited an to up, hear about him. An up being he was the star of After Hours, which is Martin Scorsese's most underrated film it's his it's his comedy like it's a straight up martin scorsese did a comedy movie and griffin dunn was the lead actor and what and his downs include being credited as the director of movie 43 that's great i sold that to a guy after he picked up a bunch of pixar films Oh yeah, and um, he picked it up, and he was so frustrating in the story that I just, I just let him buy movie forty three. I was like, you know what, man? I hope you have a bad night. <laughs> oh man, that is that is such a power move. Yeah, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna tell him, and then he was kind of rude, and I was like, eh, mm. you can watch. It. Uh, John Woodvine, who would have been kind of a respected TV actor, I think, in the UK, played Doctor Hirsch. Um. Mr. Collins, the American, um, the, the American uh, consulate, uh, he, I was thinking, I was watching, I was like, this guy's, this guy sounds like, an, sounds like one of the Muppets. Frank Oz. Frank huh. Oz was the American consul. He was just like, Be, stop behaving like that. This is unbecoming behavior. I was like, who's this motherfucker with a Muppet voice? I was like, it's Frank Oz. I, I know the line you're talking about, and I honestly just thought it was just sort of a 70s annoying accent. Yeah. No, oh, no he, was, he was, um... Yes, and then obviously Jim Henson gets a credit because there's the scene in the... Oh, with There's Miss a scene Piggy where they're her. watching an old Muppet episode. That didn't air. That uh, in the U.S. or something, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah. They, were do- they were showing, like, Punch and Judy. They were, like, talking about Punch and Judy. Yeah, and yeah. Um, people believed that it was, like, a fake um, Muppets thing, yeah. but it was actually just a, a yeah. legitimate episode that had And also, one at the start, when they're in the Slaughtered Lamb, one of the patrons is a young Rick Mail. Who's Rick Mail? 
oh he'd have been <laughs> oh he'd have been um the young ones bottom you know like very well beloved much beloved uk sort of comedic actor sorry i was just like i feel like owen would uh get, would either get rick mail or wouldn't uh, he is before he's like very much before our time that's fair yeah, but it's like he's he's since passed on, and it was one of those things where it's like his death was like, very it was like very poorly received. It was just kind of like oh, not Rick Mail. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I yeah. You meant there was controversy, and I was like, oh, no, not Rick no. Mail. <laughs> no, you know, it it wasn't. This wasn't a Bob Crane situation, which, which was just one of my favorite Family Guy jokes. Where it was just like you know. You know, uh, Brian's trying to teach Peter how to be a gentleman. I was like, let's start a polite conversation. Hello, lovely to meet you. How have you been? Now you do it, Peter. Hello, after Hogan's Heroes, Bob Crane got a skull <laughs> crushed in by a friend who videotaped him having rough sex. <laughs> oh. uh, and, and that leads into our first pre-production note. John Landis came up with the idea for this. What in 1969, while he was working on the set of Hogan's Heroes. That's amazing. He was, uh, they were on location in Yugoslavia, the former nation of Yugoslavia, where him and another guy, because he was a goer on set, they were in a car and they passed a gypsy funeral where they were burying (laughs) a body feet down in a deep, deep grave wrapped in garlic so he wouldn't, so the dead person would not come back. One, the other guy found this really funny. Landis was fascinated by it, so he wrote a script that eventually became an American werewolf in London. This is the bit I was trying to say earlier. This leads into one, just a quick note I want to point out. This is a family, this is a family joke uh, before my time because there's a big age gap between me and my sister. She was born in 1983. I was born in 97. So like she was, she was in double digits for me. All my brother came along. Mm. In nineteen ninety, just before Yugoslavia collapsed, her and my mom went on holiday together to Yugoslavia, and when they were there, my nie- my sister was about seven at that point. Blonde hair, you know, blue or greenish eyes, and all like so many of the locals would come up to my mom, just being like you have a lovely child, you know, and she was, my my sister was, like, really popular with the locals, because, you know, I don't want to say it in a sinister way, but, you know, that part of the world, you know, blonde hair, you know, bright eyes, it's, it is commodity, but, like, it, it's just, it's a, it's a popular thing. Yeah. But, like, so many, like, old ladies and old men were just being like, you have a lovely child, you have a lovely child, just after they got home from Yugoslavia, the country collapsed. So we always joke that my sister brought about the downfall of Yugoslavia because she left. That is fantastic, thank you for telling me. Yes. <laughs> oh. But, um, yeah, so the screenplay was written in 1969, but it wasn't greenlit until the early 80s after Landis had had a three consecutive hits. Uh, run including 1977's the Kentucky Fried movie which was written by the guys who would later go on to write Airplane and the Naked Gun films Uh, 1978's National Lampoon's Animal House which gives me PTSD to my uh, dissertation and 1980's The Blues Brothers so he'd have had three consecutive hits so they're like 
yeah, we'll give you this werewolf movie. You've made enough money. I was just thinking, you made the Blues Brothers, and they were like, fine, you can make your dumb werewolf (laughs) movie, Landis, okay? But some financiers felt that it was too tonally problematic to be a potential moneymaker because they were like, it's funny, but it's also not scary enough. Is it... So it's like, is it a horror? Is it a comedy? We don't know. So we're kind of worried about how this is going to turn out. So Universal... Uh, tried to get Landis to cast uh, Dan Aykroyd as David and John Belushi as Jack to get the Blues Brother pairing together because that had made a lot of money the year before. That's so, so bad. So there could have been a version of this where, you know, it's the guy from Ghostbusters and the guy from Animal House. You know what? It'd still be remembered, but it would not be the best werewolf yeah, film. No, no. Uh, but um, uh, Landis persisted, persisted, no, I want young up-and-comer actors. And also, Aykroyd and Landis were busy making their own movie together called Neighbours, which was not as well received as either Blues Brothers or this movie. <laughs> I've was, never heard of it. Cause it. Oh, it was this really bad comedy where they're just like, Hey, do you want to make Dan Aykroyd the weirdo and John Belushi the straight guy? Even though people only like this duo when John Belushi is the weirdo and Dan Aykroyd is the straight guy. So it's like, let's mess with the formula and not have it work. Yeah, um... Yeah, that's not a, not a great I recipe. loved it. The werewolf movie was too risky, but totally fucking up the dynamic of the duo was like, yeah, we'll go right ahead on yeah, that. Yeah, you know. Uh, it was filmed in the UK between February and March of 1981. So this was filmed the same year it came out. That's, I would have thought it would take longer. No, it's so, like, no. I suppose it's kind of a slapdash. It had a, it had a real, oh, like, I'm, am- I'm kind of amazed that it made the release date in the States that it did. How long from, like, they, pre- like, started production? March, film, started filming in February, finished in March. It released in the US in August. That's like whack. late August, I like suppose... that would never happen these days. No, but looking at like the posters and stuff, you can see they were dead. Like ne- they were probably made during production. You can probably fast yeah. track a whole lot of stuff with that. Yeah, and it's like you're not, you're not having to fit around actors' schedules and stuff because yeah, like you just get no names. You you have like, you, <laughs> you have a bunch of no names and the guy from the Pepsi commercial. Yeah, I think they can manage yeah. it. <laughs> but it was filmed between March, uh, mainly in Wales. Like, a lot, like, all the stuff on the moors and the slaughtered lamb and stuff, that was actually Welsh. I'm gonna be that honest set with in you. Wales. Everyone I know shits on Wales. It's fucking beautiful. It's I'm... so spooky and flat. <laughs> yeah, but that was the thing. Uh, when looking up the movie, uh, researching the movie and werewolf stuff, Landis just found that the two places in Europe that had the most sort of recorded incidents of werewolves were um, France and Wales. So mm-hmm. he decided, we'll, we'll, we'll film in Wales, we can use it as England, you know, because England, you know, it's, you know, I mean, nowadays, an American werewolf in Cardiff would have an audience. In 1981, an American werewolf in Cardiff would not have... Uh, yeah, no, they wouldn't know where Cardiff is. That's yeah. the issue. Yeah. Yeah. They, they know where London is. Yeah, you can Google Maps it now. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. But, um, and also they, he was adamant about filming in February and March because he wanted shitty weather. 
I really respect Landis. Yeah. He left the film for 10 years. And then he just got a bunch of no-name actors and shot in the worst weather possible. Yes. Like, just, what a gem. Because it's like, who wants a werewolf movie set in sunny weather? Yeah, like, like imagine L.A. werewolf is just not really the same vibe. Yeah, no, no. Unless it's Teen Wolf. But that's a very different it's werewolf not, It's movie. not the same thing. <laughs> no, it's a very different... Uh, the UK government uh, was granting a lot of uh, work permits and visas, and I was I was oh, looking this up. <laughs> no, but I was also thinking <laughs> they they were very they were also like very eager to have this movie film in London in England. I was like, it's very weird for a movie that kind of like shows like people in Northern England to be like paranoid, slightly say you know. We, you know, hostile, strange people, paranoid and, like, unwelcoming to strangers and a bit backwards. And I'm like, wait, no, this was 1981. Thatcher was in power. This absolute... <laughs> now See, it makes sense. Yeah, right? Now it makes sense. It was like... They, this, it was like... It was a bit... It wasn't a great depiction of, like, Northern England people, but, it was, you know... I will say, Northern England people, they're an honest bunch. They, they're they very willing to admit their Satanist views. Yeah, well, well, well no, only, only when the second person comes around, because it's like, the first time, they're just like, get the fuck out. And then the second time, they're like, let's actually think of, like, a decent excuse, you know? It's like, that's always been there. We don't, we don't do that. Um... I have, like, a small story to tell about, um, this film. Mm-hmm. I was first introduced to it when I started getting into kind of creepy films, and I was yeah. really into Halloween. And my dad was like, you should watch An American Werewolf in London. But this was back when, like, Amazon didn't ship to Ireland, and HMV was the biggest store in the country. R.I.P. HMV. So I was, like, perusing the shelves everywhere that had DVDs. Until eventually I found this, like, four-disc box set. And I just have, like, this memory of, like, the joy of finding this film. It was just nowhere. And I got home, watched it. I got, like, the day before Halloween, and I watched it on Halloween. It was just, like, the best night. That's lovely. That is heartwarming. It was when I was just too old to go trick-or-treating. And it was just like, ah, what do we do? We'll watch something spooky. That is the most wholesome story that has ever been told on this podcast. Thank you, man. Yes. Uh... Uh, but yeah, so the UK government, they granted work permits for production to only Landis, Norton, Rick Baker and Griffin Dunn. But there was controversy around Griffin Dunn's uh, permit because the UK branch of Actors Equity questioned whether they needed Dunn because they were like... There's a could- bunch of American actors in London. Well, no, they were, they were like, there's a bunch of British actors who could pull off an American accent. Oh. And Landis was just like, um, okay, well, we could do that. We could recast it with an English actor. Or I could just rewrite this script to an American werewolf in Paris and pull the whole thing from England. I wish he had and that second film never got made. Yes. I, I wish was... he had made an American werewolf in Paris and they just never made the second one. But the part of the reason why he wanted to shoot in England when he found out the two places that were, had most werewolf stuff were Wales and, Par- and France is was he, he couldn't be asked to learn French. But it was the 70s. Y- yeah, but it was, and you know, so it was like... So, yeah, so I feel like he had no intention of moving it to actually France because it would have been too much of a pain in the ass for him. 
Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was just to scare the UK government. Uh, oh, definitely, definitely. And they and they allowed it, and they granted Griffin Dunn his permit, and they were able to get on with filming. Um, which had Landis and Baker very much having a lot of disagreements over the design of the werewolf. Yeah, what was it? One of was it Landis that wanted it to have two legs? I think so. Yeah, I, which would have been weird. Um, because then it wouldn't be a wolf. Werewolves, do, they're bipedal werewolves. The film was it? There's a, a werewolf film that came out just before it that had a bipedal wolf. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. and that's why Landis wanted two legs, and um, it was Baker. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, it was yeah. Baker. That was Baker was like, it. no, I want to make it a dog. I mean, I'd have listened to Baker because that's his field. Yeah, but also one of the reasons he wanted to make it a dog was he he had a dog and he was like, you look kind of like a wolf. And then he modeled it after it, <laughs> which Aww. I respect. But yeah, like, absolutely. This was also the first film to get permission to shoot in Piccadilly Circus in 15 years at that point. That so. is a power play. Yeah. Uh, do you want to know how he did it? This is glorious Hollywood. Tell me. Dick, dick, dick wielding. He invited 300 members of the Metropolitan Police Force to a screening of the Blues Brothers. And they were so impressed with the Blues Brothers, they were like, you know what, here's a two-night permit to film between 1am and 4am. Have fun. That is incredible, and that's what I aspire to do. That is phenomenal bribery. I know, that's amazing. (laughs) I mean, I'd have loved it if it had just been the premiere. Like, you just see 300 bobbies just turning up in suits. <laughs> it's just like, let's see how this goes, and then we'll give him permission or not. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. That was a great 70s foreign accent. <laughs> that was meant to be 70s English. No, I know. It's foreign for us. Oh, yeah. I should have, I should have specified English. Yes. But, uh... <laughs> oh. But um, every song uh, features the word moon in it, if you listen closely enough. He I know wanted... that, but I knew that from watching it too many yeah. times. <laughs> he had wanted the uh, Cat Stevens song, Moon Shadow, but at that point, Cat Stevens had converted to Islam, Islam and was against the whole werewolves thing in general. Also, his, his, he changed his name to Yusuf Islam, and I just, yes. I found that kind of funny. That's a lovely Yusuf Islam. <laughs> it was so bad. God damn it. Anyway, um, um, and during the transformation scene, they had to avoid full frontal nudity because uh, David is uh, described as a Jewish character. It's noted it by one of the nurses, but Norton was uncircumcised. So I was like. We can't show this. We can't show no foreskin. On the note of the Cat Stevens thing, <laughs> the reason for it was Cat Stevens was like, um, I don't want my um, song to be associated with the occult and stuff. And Landis apparently was a big fan of it and was like, the whole song is about dismembering people. Can I please <laughs> use it for my werewolf film? Oh, anyway, let's uh, <laughs> let's let's get into the step by step. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we open on some trademark gl- English weather. It's gloomy and miserable. 
It's a stunning intro, though. It, it sets is. the tone for the whole rest of the film. Absolutely, like it, it's like misty you, and shit. You, it's misty and shit and rainy, and this is what actual England is like. Yeah, yeah. All the London stuff is like that's what the tourist boards want you to think. Think England is. This is what England yeah, is. It's, England it's, is wet moors. Enjoy. It's, <laughs> It's like, you know, falls to Ireland only want to show you, like, the cliffs of Moher. The, with, with the sunset behind it. And yes. you're like, no one's ever seen the sunset on the West Ireland. <laughs> yes, and then the actual, and then the reality is, like, drunken people on Shop Street. Yeah. That one busker who can't sing a note or dance a lick, but he gives it 110% to make up for everything. That's all you need. And is apparently, and is apparently a complete dick. Yeah. That's probably true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, just, <laughs> I just call him Galway's hardest working busker. But anyway, so it opens up on trademark gloomy English weather with a perfect song intro choice. And we meet Jack and David who are talking to some sheep. Yeah, they're on the back of a truck full of sheep. And they got a lift because there was a little bit of room with the sheep. Yes. Uh, and they, they actually, they... Um, ad-libbed the saying goodbye to the sheep yeah yeah so that was an ad-libbed line um but um yeah yeah and apparently you know one of the sheep shit on their bag yeah <laughs> yeah i feel like you couldn't i feel like if this movie was made today some would have made a sheep shag joke <laughs> considering this is oh this is technically a comedy they're not brave enough. Hollywood mm. aren't baller enough yet. We'll get to No. If this has been made by the English themselves. Oh, then yeah. yeah. Absolutely sheep shagging joke. They're, they're not afraid of that. Only if it was an American werewolf in Cardiff, though. <laughs> if it was an American werewolf in Cardiff, it would have all been a comedy. Um, but, uh, yes, and we see that they're two American backpackers. They're traveling through Europe. One wanted to start in Italy. The other one was like, Northern England. I'd like to see that coin flip. Yeah, it's a rough one for whoever wanted some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they they stumble along a, a misty path until yeah. they find a bar. Yes, they, stu- they stumble along while talking about some uh, girl from back home. So you're just like, see, these people are likable. They still, they, they're just young guys who want to have sex. They're real people they're, and you can relate to them. They're more real people than, you know, American daredevil thrill seekers traveling through Europe on trains and jumping off buildings. Um, and they stumble across the bar called the Slaughtered, Slaughtered Lamb. Yes. Great name. It is. Me and my dad reference it all the time. Yes. It's... In the nearby town of East Proctor. Great. Mm. Um, yes. One thing I will say that's interesting is if you're talking about symbolism in the film, is the fact that they are essentially traveling with sheep at the very beginning, and then the first place they go to is called the Slaughtered Lamb. Yes. And I really like that, like, juxtaposition at the start of the film. Just to, like, get you into the, like, they're fucked. mm, Absolutely. It's very, you know, great. It's like one of those uses of symbolism that you don't get until your second or third rewatch. Yeah, it's when you've watched it too many times and you're like, oh, the symbolism. And you're not watching the film anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's like you've seen it enough times to know what the plot is. Yeah, you're thinking about the symbolism while your mouth is mousing the words along. So they go into the slaughtered lamb, despite, you know, reservations where it's like, it's a weird name. 
you know, it's not, it's not, doesn't sound like a friendly place. Yeah, you immediately feel uncomfortable, and it, like, yeah. I feel like the vibe in the place really feels like if you ever go to Connemara and go drinking in, like, a no-name pub, mm. and you walk in and it goes quiet, and you're like, oh. Yeah, where it's just, like, the only people who'd come in there would be, like, people who've been going in there for 20 years. Yeah, if they don't know your face, you shouldn't fucking be there. Yeah, they find the locals are openly hostile, well, openly hostile, and they also very much, you know, they make American jokes, because, you know, it's very much uh, like they're aware of the Yanks, but they don't fully respect the Yanks. Yeah. they like us. It was, resi- yeah, no, a lot like us. I'm yes. not shit on them, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, <laughs> they, they make, they make an, al- they make this long Alamo joke that feels unfortunately quite current. Yeah, that I I rewatched the start of the film before this, and um, that joke just I don't remember really like getting the joke as a kid, mm. and hearing it there, I was like, oh, that's uh that's not 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 super tasteful, huh? No, no, trucking Mexicans out of out of airplanes. Yeah, actually, what I love about that joke is that um they noticed the the star. Yeah, the star, and the guy tells the um a pretty offensive joke. That ends with, uh, remember the Alamo, and everyone's laughing. And then, is it Jack that goes, what's that star on the wall? And there's dead silence. Work on your timing there, mate. <laughs> but it's like the laugh along, and then, like, deadpan, yeah. you know? So they, uh, inquire about the five-pointed star, which is a satanic symbol. Pentacle. A pentacle, yes. Which, you know, it's just like, you know, I feel like that's why the place doesn't get many tourists. Like, imagine walking into a bar for the first time and just seeing that on a wall. Yeah, it's not inviting. Unless you're into that kind of thing. Pretty inviting. <laughs> I, feel li- I, feel like, I feel like certain scene kids would feel okay being there and certain scene kids wouldn't. Yeah, it's fucking gnarly, dude. <laughs> whoever, whoever it was a phase and whoever it was a personality... That's how you know. Yes. Is if they feel uncomfortable in the mm. slaughtered lamb. Yes. <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, so they ask about the, uh, satanic symbol on the wall. Things get intense and they get told to leave. Despite the fact that the, um, landlady is, uh, very much, you know, don't let them go for God's sakes. Yeah, you can she... tell immediately that it, it's not gonna go great. no. <laughs> Not at all, you know. Like, you don't know... Well, you know from the title, but, you know... You kind of know, but also you don't really know. Well... Like, you know that they don't know. You think that at least one of... Like, one of them's not gonna get fucked from the situation. You mm. assume it's an American werewolf. Yes. But then they, they flip you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, they get told to leave, but they do get the very, uh, very reassuring advice... To stay off the moors and beware the moon. Which, in fairness, I would try to do that anyway, because moors creep me the fuck out. That's just good advice. Yeah. Mm. The, the moors in England are just creepy. Like, we have bogs here. They're not creepy. But that's because, like, there's been stories about the moors in England. My, um, my, my granddad grew up in Dartmoor. Oh. So it was, like, where Hound of the Baskervilles is set. Oh. And, um... They used to holiday there in the summer, and the weather would apparently be constantly awful and misty. And there was an insane asylum about... Oh, oh no, sorry, sorry, no, no. It was a, a, it was a violent prison. 
Oh. It, it was it was the seventies. They 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 had bad names for things. But yeah, it was like a violent prison, and it was like that was the nearest thing to them. And at one point, there was escaped convicts on the moors, and they were like, "Don't go out on the moors." Oh Jesus! <laughs> no, when I think of moors, I just instantly think of like the moors murders, which is just like, yeah, that's why they're creepy to me. <laughs> it's just like don't go, don't don't go on them. You might be walking over like a long lost dead child's body. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right, so let's get on to let's get on to lighter note. Yeah, let let's what talk about an American guy getting bodied. Yeah, he gets slammed. There's some roaring. Yes. Uh. Well, all this is basically they leave the pub. They go off. They uh, they they end up talk. They they end up talking and joking about the locals to the point where they get accidentally put on the moors. Yeah, and they, they get lost. They notice the moon comes out and they're like, "Beware the moon!" And then they look down. They're not on the road. And they're like, "Ah, oh, yeah. fuck." Uh, so they try and go back to the slaughtered lamb, but uh, they start to sense something is following them, and they start hearing noises and howling and. You know, it's all pretty well done, like yeah. filming wise. I think that like it really does what serious werewolf films do and then just actually adds an enjoyable comedy element yeah you know, like it like it really captures the atmosphere well yeah uh and david falls over out of fear and jack goes to pick him up and then jack just gets pounced on while he's trying to help him up and uh yeah jack gets ripped apart yeah he, he gets bodied. slaughtered <laughs> yes slaughtered like a lamb oh shit yeah, and then, and then the, uh, uh, meanwhile, the locals are still arguing about whether or not to go and help them, because they were like, they shouldn't be here, they're Americans. That cutback is fantastic as well, it's like, just comedy gold. Yes, they, they shouldn't be here, they're Americans, which is how most people in Dublin look at Americans as well. They shouldn't be here, they're Americans, goddamn asking for, asking to help us take photos. <laughs> oh but um yeah so uh and they're just and they're just like yo it's not up to us you know you know they made their bed they're gonna lie in it uh so david is uh being attacked by the werewolf after the werewolf is done killing jack and he gets saved because some of the locals finally do show up with guns and shoot the werewolf away. Yeah, the one time in movies where a small town locals with guns are a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and just before David passes out from his injuries, he sees a naked man riddled with bullets on the ground beside him. Uh, so that's when. So that's how you get the sense of, was it an escaped lunatic? Was it a werewolf? Does he know? I thought they uh, shot him and ran away. I totally forgot that there was a naked dude. Yeah. Well, film. well yeah, because they, they, whenever you kill a werewolf, it just goes back to its human body. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he awakes three weeks later in a London hospital where he meets nurse Alex and is told that Jack is dead. Yeah. Jack's dead. The body's already been sent home. Uh, you missed his funeral, which is, you know, it's just like... Yeah, you slept through the whole fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> if, that, if, that, if that had been done now, there'd just be, like, someone with a cam computer at the funeral where it's just, like, he's on a Zoom call. He's still asleep, he's still in the coma, but he's still on the Zoom. <laughs> Marge, change the channel. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> 
That just, that just warped itself into an amazing Simpsons reference. Strolled right in. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. He so he awakes three weeks later, finds out that Jack is dead. The news hits him badly, uh, because no one believes him when he says we were attacked by an animal. Because it becomes very obvious from what we find out from what the doctors and police tell him that the villagers in East Proctor, uh, get you know made it look like he was an escaped lunatic. Because they're trying to hide the fact that they have a werewolf problem. Yeah. Yeah. And as we know from my story, Moors do have many escaped lunatics. Yes. <laughs> Basically, the message of this film is don't fuck with Stay the Moors. Stay off the Moors. Stay off. Yes. Don't go to England. Good advice. <laughs> yes. Don't go to England. But, um, yeah. So he awakens, uh, sorry, I'm just, uh. It went over a page. Basically, so... He wakes up and there's a hot nurse. Yes, he wakes up. There was a very the hot nurse. The police are mean. The police are mean. The doctors won't believe him. He starts to think he's losing his mind because over the next few days, he starts having nightmares about running naked in the woods. You know. It's a which, dream. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Who, who hasn't had that dream before? Love it. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, David is visited by an apparition of a still-mutilated Jack. Which is a scene that was uh, toned down so that the movie could get an R rating. Because originally, because originally there was meant to be a shot in it where Jack eats some toast. But the fact is he's been used, like his throat has been cut by the wolf. So the toast would go in his mouth and then falls out. I love that that was too much. That's where they were like, we we can clearly draw the line here at the toast thing. Well, also like the sex scene between Alex and David was meant to be a bit more graphic than it was. I don't really mind that. That's kind of... Yeah, yeah. It's not necessary. No, no, it's just sex. Um, It's fine, but it's really not power relevant. Yeah, no, the gore was more relevant. Yeah. Yeah. We need to see what would happen. We hap- need to see the toast. We need to see what happens if a mutilated apparition wants to eat some food. Well, I will say to this day it has not been done in cinema. No, it has not. Oh. That's probably untrue. It's probably a bunch of fucking shit. Mm. Anyway. Uh, he, but over the next, but uh, the apparition of Jack tells him that it was a wolf that killed him. And that David will become one himself over the next few days. And will probably... Sorry, I... No worries, Owen's just opening a can of, uh... Whoop-ass. Oh, no. <laughs> a can of whoop-ass. A wo- can of whoop-ass. A can of whoop-ass that tastes a lot like Diet Coke. But, um... Yeah, so, uh... And... It's, it's eventually the start where we start to f- discover the lore of werewolves within the world of this film. Where, you know, the bloodline has to end for Jack to, uh, finally be at peace. I also think that that sort of lore is much more fun than the, like, vampires but wolves, you know? Yes. Like, I feel like the whole ghost thing adds, like, another element to it, and I think that's also one of the reasons why it really stands out. That's why I love this. It's really simple. It's just like, Mm. you are a werewolf now. You have to die. Yeah. Pretty much. There's no, we we can save you. It's just like, nah. You're fucked. (laughs) Make your choice. Yes. But, um, yeah, so, and then again, over the, and while he doesn't believe uh, Jack and thinks it's just him losing his mind still, uh, he eventually starts to turn Dr. Hirsch on what may have happened in East Proctor because he's like, 
well, you're a doctor, you know, do you think one man could, like, take down two young, able-bodied men, even if he was crazy and strong? Yeah, it's like you, like, and also I really like that part in it because it does kind of get you and you're like, damn, yeah. yeah. There's holes, there's holes in this story and bodies. Uh, (laughs) Nice. Meanwhile, his relationship with Alex begins to uh, blossom. Oh, lovely. Yes. Uh... And after being released from hospital, David doesn't have anywhere else to stay, so Alex reg- agrees to let him stay at her apartment, which no nurse could fucking afford. She is in a nice part of London. Like, she's like, oh, I'm a working gal, so I don't have many men over. It's like, that apartment is, seems far too nice for a nurse. I don't know what the economy's like in this version of 1981 London, but, you know... That's t- it's a nice it, area. I, I don't know much about history, but wasn't the economy fucking ravaged throughout the 70s? Wasn't that a big thing about yes. the 70s? <laughs> yes. Cool, yeah, yeah. This was like the start of like, this was early on in the Thatcher year. So like, economically, things would get better for the rich people, but not for like working class nurses. Well, you see, Jake, she was a yuppie. And what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so uh, they go home and Alex tells him, I find you very attractive and a little bit sad, which is absolute, which is exactly the type of thing you want your women to say to you, you know? Yeah, what a 2021 sentence, or like the last decade, anyway, like 2010s, it sounds like some tweets. Yeah, I find you very attractive and a bit sad. Yeah. But anyway, so, boy tweets. So, she, so she tells him, you know, I like you, I take pity on you. And, um, cue the sex jazz music. So they have sex. And the music, it's, it's sort of, it's a jazzy music they play and it's they like... They sort of went porn with it. It was like, it was like old school porn vibes. Yeah, <laughs> se- sex jazz music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one after, after they finish, uh, Jack visits him again in the bathroom. <laughs> Yeah. Did I phrase that weird? No, I just laughed at it. Uh, and again, warns David, you're going to turn into a monster tomorrow. But he's like, you're not real. I'm just losing my mind. Uh, so the next night, Alex is on a night shift. So David's at home alone, you know, and he's listened to that song, you know, I see a better bad, moon. Bad moon rising. Bad moon rising. Yes. Yes. Bad. Uh, and, you know, he's just hanging out in the house, you know, he's bored. And then it's just a very sudden transformation. It's just like, he's just there reading. I was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. You know? I, it's also just so violent, but yeah. not gory. And I kind it's, of appreciate he, that. His response is very much like elderly Irish farmer man having a heart attack. Just like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, everyone should that film too laughs at it, but I've seen it too many times to not yes. take it seriously. But, um, yeah, and then he... That's the thing. The Literally, the center point of this movie, like, like what this movie is best remembered for, the werewolf transformation scene, probably the best werewolf transformation scene... Ever. Ever. Like, this is the one where it's like... This looks painful. Yeah, like, there's some fun ones out there, like Trick or Treat, but I think this one really, like, it It, it also, because of the practical effects, it's just, like, it feels so, like, it's 70s real. Yeah. Well, 80s, because, again, this was, 80, yeah. this was done but, in 81. But, but I like that um, they don't, um, like, the, the lack of CGI really adds Yeah, to, you know? like, this looks more realistic than, uh, 
CGI transformations do. I've never seen a werewolf transformation that looks as realistic as this one. And no, no. Because it's all, it was like, yo, his bones are literally mm. growing longer and like... Yeah, the, the hand scene is really... The shit cool. on his back is just popping up and yeah. it's just like, you can hear it, you can feel it, you can taste it. <laughs> it's it's so nasty and visceral. I know, I know. And it, and it, it you know, and, you know it feels like that is what they that it feels like this is the scene they spent the longest time filming oh definitely and it's the one that really like has stood the test yeah. of time because also this film was entirely shot in sequence yeah yeah it was one of the few movies where they actually did that i kind of like it i know i kind of like it i feel <laughs> although i feel like that would have then put the the last few scenes in like a really stressful position because oh, yeah, it's no, like definitely. we have two nights we have six basically six hours to do one scene and it's a big scene with buses and cars and traffic and shit and a porno theater uh but yeah so couldn't get more 80s london yeah he so he turns into a werewolf in an iconic transformation and he goes out on his first killing spree which includes a group of homeless men down by the river, mm-hmm. a couple out on the street, and you know it's like that scene in the house where it's just like, oh, those hoodlums are at it again, and it was like, no, so no, two poor people just got bodied by a fucking werewolf. Yeah. And my favorite, the guy in the underground tube station, he was just running away with like the briefcase, yeah. you know, you know, poor briefcase wanker. Also, they um get away with like not really showing yeah, much of like, like you don't really see the werewolf at all throughout the killing spree from what I remember. Yeah, it's like the only time you see like the werewolf stuff get super gory is when the werewolf is the villain and not David. Yeah. Like you don't see much of like the gory shit that David does. You just hear about it later on. Which really lends to like his character's empathy as yes. well. Yes. Uh, and then the next, so the next morning he awakens in London Zoo, bare ass naked, and you get probably the biggest comedy section of the film, where he's trying to uh, escape the zoo while naked, <laughs> and he has to like ask a little boy with balloons to come over to him in oh, a that's scene so that's funny. Like, that's so funny because it was done in nineteen eighty one and not. 2021 no it's funny because he's an empathetic character and you know he's not a pedophile yes that's why it's funny (laughs) (laughs) and 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 eventually so the kid is gonna have to go to his parents and be like a naked man in the bushes stole my balloons iconic line yeah should be quoted more (laughs) so he's running away with the balloons at one point he has to leave the bush and like go out you know hand over junk runs over to the little boy yoink and yeah. then runs away. And then grabs a coat off, like, some off a bench. So, and then it's just him getting on the bus, looking at all the people. It's like, morning, morning, morning. And all he is wearing is this big red ladies coat. <laughs> oh. Uh, actually, there's a funny bit I'm going to say in post-production that uh, has something to do with the this section of the film in particular. Yeah. But, um... So, but he eventually gets home, but Alex still doesn't believe him. Uh, yeah, now she just thinks he's a weirdo. Yeah. A bit of a pervert. He is. Uh, so, meanwhile, Hirsch travels to East Proctor, 
where he learns the truth because he's talking with the people in the slaughtered lamb and, and they felt bad. Yeah, and they felt and and it and it's like net right and in this bit they actually managed to use an excuse that for some reason they just decided not to say to the Americans, which I think kind of shows, you know, how little they how like people in England respect each other more than they respect Americans because the respected English doctor gets like the excuse of well we were going to cover that up but it's been there for so long that there's no point in uh, there's no point it's tradition you know which feels like that's an easy get around that they just decided not to say to the Americans because fuck the Americans yeah yeah they, they were kind of pricks yeah but um racism but uh eventually they they admitted yeah we have a bit of a werewolf problem in town uh that poor boy is in danger uh so hirsch then gets back to london very very quickly it's hard to be like was this happening like in the days before he went on the killing spree or was there just like a very convenient train schedule between london and east proctor very busy line, Jake. A lot of people mm. going to East Proctor. Yeah. Nice to see. <laughs> Metropolitan city of the world, East Proctor. <laughs> Still uh, smaller than West Proctor, though. I, oh, I imagine the people in East Proctor think the people of West Proctor are fucking dickheads. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. There's only two two pubs in the county. So. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, the Proctor Derby. <laughs> but, um... Anyway, so Alex takes David out for the day, but uh, they're walking past the newspaper stand and they see the newspapers being like, oh, this terrible killer in London, he's like Jack the Ripper, but a wolf. <laughs> but, uh, and, um, <laughs> but like some sort of wolf. <laughs> yeah, some murderers out there murdering people and David suddenly starts to feel guilty and uh, he starts trying to get himself arrested by insulting English people. And, his, and it's like literally his best things are the queen is a pussy. Does he say that? Uh, it's something that was uh, think, uh, something along that, the lines. Oh, he does say something like that. He's it's like Prince Charles is a faggot. Oh jeez, that's the line. Did not age well. No. Terrible. Also, also at one point, I uh, I think at one point, there's something in the credits where it's like the light reform, something or other where they congratulate uh, Princess Diana on her marriage. Which was also, I think, in 1981. Oh. So, yeah, so they congratulate in the credits Princess Diana on her marriage and then call her husband a faggot in the movie. Power play. That is a power play. How Hollywood. Uh, they, they saw how the marriage would go before the rest of the world did. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and he, she, he's insulting the Queen. I was just like, Winston Churchill's full of shit. Uh, which is how, how Twitter refers to Winston Churchill now, if you ever hear what he said about India. Again, as I said, very, very, like, sort of, like, 2010s film, yes. if you ignore it, all of the... It, it's ahead of its time. Yeah, if you ignore all the offensive yeah. jokes. But, yeah. <laughs> but, so, yeah, so he's insulting Winston Churchill, the Queen, Prince Charles. He's going after all the fucking heavy hitters. <laughs> you know, he, he was about to say the Beatles are fucking shit. But then again, he just started riding on the head kicked in on him. Yeah, that's bad move. Obviously. He yeah. also didn't insult football teams, which was just a good move for his safety. 
But then, no, because it's London, so it's like if you insult one of the local teams, then three other fucking sets of local fans will agree with him. So it's like, oh, Chelsea are fucking shit, and the coppers just like an Arsenal fan. Yes, they fucking are. <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah, so, uh, but he doesn't get arrested, so he just runs off really upset. And Dr. Hirsch finds Alex and is just like, we need to get him help, he's out of control. He's and- all nude. <laughs> Well, he's not nude yet. He goes to a, a phone box and rings home and talks with his younger sister and a very much, you know, I know I'm fucked, so I'm just going to say goodbye to my family type thing, which is really nice. It's a very nice scene. It, it, it's, like, it's, that, a, it's a heartfelt film. That says more than, like, ten sex scenes would. Well, yeah, he was talking about family. I really, yeah, yeah. Really <laughs> hope they didn't try that. <laughs> That would make it a very, very, very different film. Goddamn. Yeah, goddamn God damn indeed. Uh, so yeah, so he goes. So he goes to the porn. So he goes to the porno theater. <laughs> Great <on>. transition. <laughs> Amazing transition. Uh, where Jack introduces David to all of his victims, who are kind of still a bit salty about being murdered by him, even though like he didn't really mean to do it. It's something that, you know, one sorry doesn't cut it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like rear-ending them, someone with your car. Yes. You know? It's like saying sorry, it's like it's, you should, but it's not yeah. the end. And they just be like, okay, come on, then kill yourself. And they start suggesting methods where they're just like, hanging? Oh, no, messy, you know? Again, very 2010. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, he transforms into the wolf in the middle of the theatre, so he causes a riot. He kills Pee-wee Herman just he before does, he gets caught by the cops. He does kill Pee-wee Herman, which is also very, very in weird taste because then somewhere during the mid-90s, the actual cop who, was play, who played Pee-wee Herman got busted masturbating yeah, yeah, yeah. in a porno theatre himself. He doesn't actually kill Pee-wee Herman, though. No, no. There's a guy who looks really dorky, though, right? He looks Pee-wee Herman-y, he right? He does, cool, very cool. Pee-wee Herman-y. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... Yeah, so he starts attacking locals in the street and attacking police officers. The bus driver is actually uh, a cameo by Vic Armstrong, the stunt, stunt man mm-hmm. at the time, who at that point ha- must have had one of the biggest dicks in Hollywood because he was like, he was the stunt coordinator on a lo- bunch of different blockbusters and he was also the double for uh, Christopher Reeve and Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Damn. So it's just like... That's he, a resume. So I'm just like, he could get any pussy he wanted at some point in the early 80s. It was just like, I do, I do stunts and I can't... Major celebrities just tag him in. Yes, like he is the ultimate tag him on Instagram. No, I'm going to tag him in in the bedroom. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just like, Harrison's not feeling up to it tonight. Yeah, he's a stunt double. (laughs) Sorry, Linda, Harrison's Harrison's feeling a bit tired after the show today. Vic's going to come in and do it. If you look at him from the back of the head, he looks just like Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. All right. So, um, yeah, Alex and Hirsch arrive, but it's too late because David is cornered in an alleyway by a bunch of cops. Is he nude yet? No, he's not. Oh. He's still he's still hairy. Oh. Uh, and then they shoot him dead and then he gets naked. Yes. He dies naked in an alleyway, as all great Americans should. 
the look on Owen's face right yeah, now. Yeah, you should. I know Crash. you don't edit this, but you should cut that. <laughs> apologies to all great. <laughs> apologies to all great Americans. Just no, to... <laughs> non-great Americans, fuck off. <laughs> apologies again. This 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 um this podcast loves all Americans. Going to get cancelled as I soon know. as this gets enough traction. I know. I apologize <laughs> to all Americans. I will apologize to my one American friend <laughs> from Connecticut when I see him tonight. Anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, so he dies naked in an alleyway, and that is it for the step by step. So, with that, uh, so with the step by step done, let's get into post production. Post. Yes. Uh, the film was released on the 21st of August, 1981, in the US, which is literally April, May, June, July, five months after they finished filming, which is insane, considering, you know, these days, you know, the movie, you'd need a good nine months for, like, post-production. This had... Yeah, no, like, you could run five. it to five, but, like, it's... It... Way too cramped to do a decent job. Yeah. And the mixing on the film ain't bad. <laughs> yeah, like, all the technical stuff on this film is solid. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's like... I'm not saying a perfect film, but I'm saying, like, it's more or less flawless technically. Like, it's shot well, it's edited well, and it sounds really good. Yeah, like, like the story ends kind of abruptly. Like, that's one of the only main issues, I think. Yeah. But even then, maybe that was just, like... Well, you know, if we extend this out any longer, we're not making late August. I also kind of appreciate that it just ends. It doesn't meander yeah. after it. It just Also, right after... the 21st of August recently just happened, marked the 40th birthday of this movie. God damn. This movie is 40 years old. Is it a birthday or an anniversary? Anniversary. Okay. 40th anniversary. So, like, these effects still hold up today better than a movie that came out... The same weekend I did. What film came out the weekend you did? I'm pretty sure American Werewolf in London was, like, the number one film the weekend I was born. I was born on a Friday. Damn. Yeah. So it's, like, this whole... this this So, like, that movie aged worse than me. An American Werewolf in London? An American Werewolf in Paris. Oh, I was thinking. I was no, like, did I it was... get, like, re-released? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> You were about to say, Jake, were you born in 1981? I was like, did they re-release it in 97? Because that seems weird that everyone no. in 97 was like, yeah, fuck it, Blockbuster again. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, it was released on the 12th of November, 1981, in the UK. Which feels almost kind of weird, where it's just like, it was all filmed there, but the Americans got it first. Well, um, but that that's was... how it worked. Back yeah, then. yeah. It worked like that until the mid-2000s, and it's honestly oh, no. fucking bullshit. No, because even last week when we were talking about the Muppets, uh, FYI, do watch our Muppet review. Me and Dean talk about the 2011 Muppet movie. I probably will. It sounds pretty yeah. fun. Yeah, me and Dean. I was very sleep-deprived. Sweet. Yes, yeah, so I say a lot of weird shit. Stoked. Yeah, but um, yeah, like even in 2011, we were getting the Muppets movie in like... February of 2012 while the movie was released in the States in like November of 2011 so I was like that shit not even the 2000s yeah like 
day in day release worldwide that shit only started happening within the last 10 years that's what i was thinking like, like um, it wasn't even a thing do you remember getting into movies and finding out films would be released and then just you couldn't watch them for like half a year and yeah. then you didn't care like there was a time where i would only know like big huge movies were coming out because the local cinema had this wall outside it where they would put the banner for like the biggest fucking blockbusters mm. like oh my god they're making a spider-man 3 <gasps> i feel like before people had smartphones when you couldn't just like yeah check what movies were coming out and you had to like read the newspaper no one cared about the, the release the, dates the way the way that uh, i fe- used to find out movies were happening you'd get to the cinema you'd be maybe five minutes early before like they start showing the ads and the trailers and stuff mm-hmm. you would just walk down the other corridor of the theater and there would be a wall with just a bunch of posters on it oh i missed that like and you're just like that looks good that looks good whoa that's happening a simpsons movie whoa whoa 2007 was wild yeah um a toy story three what the fuck i stopped caring by the third one i feel bad oh. it was pretty i watched it it was good i watched oh. all of them but like was um yeah but um yeah, so we got... Well, so, you know, the UK got it in 1981. We didn't get it until the 19th of February, 1982, in Ireland. Well, that's because the, that's when the Catholic Church stopped letting up... We stopped letting them pick our phones. I am amazed this guy... Um. I feel like... I feel like... Ooh, we, the, uh, yeah, I feel like we'd have had a very... It must have just been, like, a very sound priest watching this before giving it the okay... Like, it's that bit in Cinema Paradiso where, like, the priest gets to watch the movies before everyone else and would just have a bell. And whenever he rang it, it would be like, you got to cut this bit out. <laughs> and it, and he would ring the bit, the bell anytime anyone started shifting each other. Sounds like a teen fucking disco, man. <laughs> what teen fucking disco have you ever been to where there's a Italian priest with a little bell? Well, I went to Catholic school, Jake, so... <laughs> Did, you, weren't you from Athen, right? No. We'll get into that later. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, mm-hmm. um... Yeah, so we didn't get it until February of 1982. Thankfully, we got it. This feels like a movie that could have very easily have been banned if it had had a little bit less comedy in I'm it. I'm honestly surprised it wasn't. They really were strict about films back then, and it's, it, it's kind of raunchy and offensive, like... Like we, like, we didn't get Natural Born Killers in the 90s. We didn't get Pinocchio in the 40s. We didn't get Pinocchio? Oh, no. No, it was Fantasia that we didn't get. We Are didn't, you kidding me? They ban- Fantasia was banned in Ireland because of that scene in which Mickey Mouse wears a wizard hat and casts some spells. Well, to be fair, he sorcery. wouldn't do that if he didn't hate Jesus, so... Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, we didn't get, um, Clockwork Orange. We did not, and we didn't get The Life of Brian. No. Which is bullshit. They had, my mom flew over to England to see that. I would absolutely fly to England to watch a Monty Python movie if it was banned in Ireland. Right. I would watch any movie that would get banned in Ireland, to be honest. I always have this weird fascination about, like, movies that are banned in certain countries, you know? Mm-hmm. Like how Winnie the Pooh was banned in China. Oh yeah, no, no. The second the film gets banned, um, I like immediately 
become more fascinated by it. There's just when it's gross hard and not really, I'm like, yeah, there's probably a reason. But mm. for comedy and stuff, I'm like, I want to see what you're censoring. Like that's the only reason anyone remembers the interview with James Franco and Seth Rogen because it almost started World War Three. It's probably also why people are gonna remember the film The Hunt. Yes. It was just banned for it two got, years. It got banned for ages. You know. Well, not oh, banned, postponed, but like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, its opening weekend, it made. Three point seven eight million domestic, which is good for nineteen eighty one. Yeah, fair, fair fucks to it. Opening weekend in the UK it made four thousand three hundred and seventy three pounds, <laughs> which is which is good. Which is good for UK at that point, because God no. I, what 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 do you mean it was good for UK? That's like four thousand. Oh, I suppose tickets were probably yeah like a much or cheaper. Yeah. yeah, you know, like each each pound probably came from like. Four different Buff- viewers. Buffalo nickel, you know? Yeah. As well, was the style at the time. Yeah. As was style at the time. Yeah. Its overall gross in America was uh, 30.5 million. How much did it cost? Uh, shit, I didn't put the budget down, but I think it might have been somewhere around 10 million. Like, it did really well. Like, it, like it didn't... Like, it was never a number one, but I, I don't know where it is. I got it on my uh, phone here. It's budget 10 million. 10 million, and it made 30 million it at the box 30 office. 30 million. Oh, sorry, I thought you said three. No, Damn. no. 30 is pretty swish. 30, yeah, really swish. And it made 104,086 uh, in UK and international box office, which is over 100,000. Yeah. It probably also only got aired in, like, big cities. Yes, yes, because, you know, you know, because... You don't get good cinema in country cinemas. Yeah, you know, East Proctor did not have a cinema. Yeah. Yeah. They they didn't go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> if East Proctor <laughs> did have a cinema, it would just be reruns of the 1930s version of The Wolfman. <laughs> it's actually just the bar on a Tuesday. They just projected on one of the stone walls. There's no screen Oh, my God, yes. That's the old... That's, like... That's how it would have been back in the day. They have like three you, films that they just rotate. And yes, you, watch you would. It once you would just. You just have like you know. Oh, we're showing a film in the pub on uh, whatever day it was. You know, like I remember last time I was in Australia, we found this like really rural, deserty town called Keith in South Australia, like South Eastern no Australia. Keith, but it sounds bleak. It it's it's like one of those well it's one of those towns where I was like. It's a street. Oh, I live in... I used to... I grew up in one of those. <laughs> it's a street, but there's a bit more sand, and I think there's a factory just outside it, and it's like, maybe some houses, we but, you know... We factories. But it's it one, even a street. But it's one of those towns where it's just like, what's the ratio of people to dingoes? <laughs> but, um... Yeah, uh, and it was just like, there was, like, literally... There was a post, there was a movie post of her, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. This was summer of 2014, and it was just, like, showing in the local community centre. So it was like, they didn't have a cinema, they just have a community centre where they would get a tape, or a DVD or something, or the file, and they would cook it up to a laptop and... Okay, it doesn't sound like a good time. But it right? sounds I, wholesome. It sounds, I kind of wish I had that. Like, it's, I'd hate to be watching Spider-Man 2 for the first time in 2014, but it sounds like a really wholesome community time. Yes. Uh, 
it 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 obviously it didn't make number one ever in its box office run, but that was because it came out in August of uh eighty one during a during a return run to the top of the box office for a month for Raiders of the Lost Ark, which had come out earlier that summer, had sort of dipped underneath number one and then just kept coming back at number one multiple times between like summer and Christmas. That's insane. Like that shit had legs. had such longevity. I know. Like the last... Now a month is like an insane amount of time. In fairness, nowadays a month it's on a fucking subscription service. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, John Lanton did... Oh, but it did become the 11th highest grossing film of 1981 in the US. So it just missed out on the top 10. And, you know, that year again would have had Raiders... um, Yo, let me just get it up here. What uh, movies would have been above it? Uh, Superman 2, Stripes, um, For Your Eyes Only. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I will be reviewing that at some point tonight. Um, The Great Muppet Caper, History of the World Part 1. So it's like, yeah. not those seen are... half of these. History of the World Part 1 is one of Mel Brooks's better comedies that weren't Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles. I was going to say, that sounds yes. like a sad ride, but those two films slap. Yeah. It, um, it's basically just Mel Brooks taking the piss out of historical epics, which is quite fun. It's like, it has one of my favorite... You got a chance for like a good time until you know who Mel Brooks is. Oh no, wait, I'm thinking of Mel Gibson. Mel Brooks is sound. <laughs> Mel Gibson's a weirdo. Yeah. Never mind. No, it has, one, on. it has one of my favorite gags at the start. He's like, it's like a parody of uh, the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down from the mount and he has three tablets on him. God has given me these 15. He drops one of the commandments. It falls on the ground. Ten commandments. Because <laughs> they're just like, what was on those... What was those other five commandments? Did you just fuck up the world? <laughs> But, um, yeah, so, 11th highest grossing film in 1981. Really solid for a, for a horror comedy with n- unknown actors, really. Yeah, also, like, a very tonally weird film, which wasn't yes. really big in th- yes. th- at the time. But where, where they wanted the Blues Brothers as the leads. God damn, this film almost got fucked oh. up so many times. John Landis claims this is his favourite film he ever made. I do not doubt that. Yeah. Real One hard. of the funniest things, though, is they, it was advertised as being from John Landis. Uh, where, and literally one of the taglines was, from the guy who brought you Animal House comes a very different kind of animal. That's a cool line. I, yeah. thought, I thought they were just going to swindle people and be like, from the creator of the Blues Brothers and Animal House, this film that's kind of the same, we promise. But it's like, no, because people thought, because again, people were stupider back then. And it was like, this wasn't... Well, they you did, Google, yeah, you I mean. didn't have Google. So you saw, there's a new John Landis movie. What movies did he make? Oh, Blues Brothers, Animal House. Oh, it's a comedy. So people went in thinking it was a comedy. And there was multiple cases of people running from the cinema's terrified out of their heads because they thought it'd be a comedy and they were scared shitless by werewolves. That is so funny. Imagine people running from a cinema now. Oh. I'm, I, I'm so sad. That I wish we lived in simpler times. I, I do and I don't. People, but like, 
Imagine getting duped by War of the Worlds. That's a fantastic oh. week, you know? Imagine if you had gone to, like, the screenings of The Exorcist in, like, the 70s. Yeah, I kind of resent being desensitized. Yeah, media, like, when, hey. when people weren't desensitized and when The the Exorcist would re- could really do yeah. some damage. when someone turned their head around was just too much. I know. Um, remember how I said there was something in regards to, uh... The nude scenes in the in the sex scene and in the zoo. Yeah. David Naughton was fired from the Pepsi commercials because of the nude scenes in this movie. Oh, my dude. Because he were... hung Dom? Yeah. Because people saw his ass on screen and they were just like, Pe- people who sell you Pepsi on TV should not have asses. Sex being sold with soft drinks? I never. <laughs> it's just like, they were just like, Oh, we can't. You're not wholesome anymore because people have seen your hole. <laughs> so you can't. So you can't run around a park and sing a song about how good Pepsi is. You've already run around the park, you, and you can't do it again. <laughs> Children with balloons are gonna start getting scared. People aren't going to buy Pepsi. You see, you were clothes on, and we just can't yeah. make it in the commercials. Yeah. <laughs> It's not with family value. Oh, I swear to God, someone used the term family values. Oh, go fuck yourself. Fuck you, Pepsi. You're not as good as Coke. I do buy them when I'm poor. People buy Pepsi so they can belch. You know, I buy Pepsi when I, when I, when I spend all of my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but um, while it was not super well received by critics... It, it it was praised for the effect and it gained a cult following over time. I will say critics can go fuck themselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, horror movies in the 80s were not as respected as they are now, you know? They still shit on a bunch, but it's kind of justified. Yeah, like, 80s horror films, a lot of them aren't great, but they're great. Yeah. They're not great in the way the critics no, but would they, call they them based, great. Like that era of horror sort of made well, like the films we have now. Yes, like this influenced a shit ton of uh, practical effects for the next decade on. Yeah, no, it, it fucked up a bunch of kids. Yeah. So they made art. Uh, uh, Michael Jackson, in fact, was so impressed with. Uh, oh, you're going to say he's in the film. <laughs> no, no, Michael Jackson was so impressed with him that he hired John Landis to direct the thriller video. And Rick Baker that to uh, sense, to do the uh, special effects for the it. Same. <laughs> yeah. So you have this movie to thank for the thriller video. Sweet. Yeah, uh, and obviously it was the first film to ever win the best makeup o- Oscar, which was introduced in nineteen eighty two as a uh, response to the controversy surrounding the fact that the Elephant Man didn't get any recognition, despite the fact that the makeup in that movie. Is incredible. I've only seen the cover. Doesn't he wear a bag on his head? <laughs> yeah, but it's like when you take the bag off his head. Oh, they go that far? Sweet. Oh, no, this is like, I have no idea how long John Hurt spent sitting in a chair for this, but oh my god, his arse must have been sore. Do I ever watch the goddamn Elephant Man? What? Do I ever watch the Elephant Man? Isn't it a David Lynch film? It's a David Lynch film, though. I had mm. assumed you would watch this. Based on historical things, Jake. Yeah, but and it's and it is not super like John the uh, David Lynchy, but also, you know. I'll say I appreciate David Lynch's films, but also they're a goddamn trek always. 
Yeah, yeah, but... It's never, like, a, you're never having a blast watching David Lynch. But, like, that's what they did with the makeup in 1980. I will say, they... For Jason Voorhees, they just ripped off the elephant man. Yeah. That's... Oh. Mm. Interesting note to tie this back to Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks was one of the producers on The Elephant Man, but did not get... But refused, said, I don't want to be credited at credited as this because people will see my name on the poster and they will think it's a comedy and it's the furthest thing from a comedy. Because yeah. his wife was also in it. Uh, Mel Brooks's wife, Anne Bancroft. Melanie Brooks. No, no, Anne Bancroft. Who I think was, she was Mrs. Robinson as well from The Graduate. The, yeah, the... The, it's I think, fine. You yeah, the, the, the song, the song, okay. yeah. <laughs> oh, but, um, yeah, so that's pretty much it for post-pre-production, I mean, or post-production. I mean, obviously, oh, do we address the elephant in the room that is not the Elephant Man? The sequel? I, I think we need to, so, we, yeah. so you don't have to make an episode on it. Yeah, don't watch the sequel to this yeah. movie that isn't really a sequel, just... A shitty werewolf movie that can slap slap on, you know, an American werewolf in title to make you, like, buy it more. Also, you know my wholesome-ass story about finding the DVD? Yes. So... Is there a dark my, twist? Well, for the sequel, there has to be. Me and my dad found it because we were like... Mom was waiting, we were like, we'll watch this film. This is going to be great. I we, we love sequels. It was on the goddamn Pirate Channel. Back oh, in, like, 2009 or no. something. So, like, it's a bad time for the horror channel. And we saw it, and I remember just, like, I don't think I've been that disappointed in a film in, like, a while. It's disgusting. It it looks... Also, compared to just, like, the nuance and, like, how, like, nicely shot the the original is. It's just such a disrespect. Like, half the... Half, like, the main first werewolf transformation is just, like... What's gonna happen to her female body parts? Like, is re- like it is slightly uncomfortable the fact that a lot of the werewolf transformation is based around like, oh, you're gonna see tits turn hairy. Yeah, it's not nat. Like, it's not the same sort of nasty. Also, I ju- just realized that we forgot to mention the awesome dream sequence that's in every top mojo dream video oh yeah where, where there's nazi werewolves that there come is in a and nazi kill his werewolf. whole family yes has nothing to do with the rest of the film it's just a nightmare yeah but honestly even they, if you're not going to watch the film i'd say look up american werewolf in london nightmare, nightmare or nazi you can probably find it it's got the muppets in it it does and yes it's it's a very fun scene that's yeah. Kind of pointless. To the film. It's great, though. But pointless, like, but great. Yeah. 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 I mean, I wish that had been the sequel. Just follow the Nazi werewolves. I really feel like that dream sequence is one of the nastier scenes in the film. Yeah. It's like, it's really like... It comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it comes out of nowhere. Because you're just... It's set during the bit where you're still in the hospital. Also, I've seen people get got by that jump scare. And that makes yeah. me really happy that, like, it works 50 still, years later or what? 40. 40, 40 yeah. years later. But, um... Yeah, so yeah, so please don't watch the uh, American Werewolf in Paris. It's the lesser version in every sense. Yeah, you can watch a review if so, of yeah. someone like roasting it, but definitely don't waste an hour and a half to well, however long it is. I mean, the only fun part, the on, the highlight of a of an American Werewolf in Paris is there's a scene where 
he has to jump off uh, the Eiffel Tower with a bungee cord around his foot to save the May Julie Delphi's character who's trying to kill herself. He saves her, but then on the way back up, he smashes the back of his head off the Eiffel Tower. I found that hilarious. I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll that's... say, if you can get drunk enough through the first film, maybe the second one's bearable. Don't know. Not gonna yeah. try it. <laughs> it depends on how much you can stand the thought of 90s dude bro guys God, who so are 90s. who are like they're daredevils because they're like they go across europe and they try to do insane things like jump off the eiffel tower also the film was way too confident in cgi for whatever year that came out I, I, it's hideous the, the, the werewolves i said it looks like you know the monsters in the first live-action Scooby-Doo movie? Yes, it does. But without the charm no, of the monsters from the Scooby-Doo movie. They're not interestingly designed at all. No, but at least with the Scooby-Doo one, it's like, it's fun. Yeah, it's like this a little isn't, purple gremlin. This something. isn't fun, you know? No. First one is, check it out. Yeah, first one is a classic, avoid the sequel like it's the plague. Yes. Yes. You know, John Landis didn't even come back for, like... That horrendously disappointing sequel, because he was too busy working on the horrendously disappointing sequel to the Blues Brothers, so he so he escaped one terrible sequel for another. L Blues Brothers two thousand. Dodging bullets, you know, don't get hit once. (laughs) We will never, we will never review Blues Brothers two thousand. Don't worry, folks. I wasn't gonna. Yeah, no. Don't watch any movie from 98 that has the word 2000 in the title. They had very high expectations and it did not live up. No, (laughs) nothing from this millennium has lived up to the expectations of uh, 98. Uh, But anyway, so overall thoughts on the film just before we wrap this up? Um, I think it is one of the only werewolf films that I will regularly rewatch. And this, that, and, like, the first Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, Wolfman, but that's because I have the Blu-ray. Also, you can enjoy it by yourself, and you can get drunk to it. It's a very nuanced film. Yes, it's a sober and drunk watch. Yeah, at any point, it's a good time. Yes, and that's what you want from, like, a horror movie that isn't, like, that's a horror comedy, yeah. you know? Like, you like, there's some horror movies where I'm, like, don't ever watch that while drunk. Don't watch Hereditary while drunk. Don't watch Midsommar while drunk. Yeah, you're gonna have a bad time. No, yeah, don't watch Rec Room for a Dream. I still have it, I'm scared. Oh. Um, but, um, yeah, this is, like I said, this is, this is a definitely top ten horror movies for me. Maybe, I think even top seven. Touching top five, depending on what my mood is on a day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really love this one. It's a sim- it's a simple, fun werewolf movie with an iconic transformation scene that re that like show that like inspired an entire generation of practical movie effects until CGI came and fucked it up. We're getting back to it. It's we're fine. Get- we're getting it's there. Fine. It's been a long road, but we're getting there. But um, thank you very much for coming on the show. Round of applause for our newly enti- newly titled correspondent. 
Thank you. That's the saddest um, round of applause I think I've ever heard. Thank you for having me on the show for this. No I really enjoy talking about it. Yes. Uh, until next time, um, I have, we have some ideas in the pipeline that I cannot fully confirm yet. But um, until next time, thank you very much for listening. Uh, do go and watch An American Werewolf in London and all of the great movies that we have discussed on the podcast in the last 22 episodes now. You have good recs. I'll give yes. you that. Fantastic yes. recommendations. At some point, we will end up doing a bad movie. I'm, I'm kind of excited. It's got to it's happen. I feel like it's probably... There's enough of them. It's probably going to end up being something. But um, until then, thank you very much for listening and goodbye and good night.